they build a tool that helps solve that problem or overcome that challenge or inefficiency, right? They're not super focused on their slam algorithms or we got to have this super sophisticated machine learning or like how many LIDARs do we have on the, it just works, right? It just works. Hi, I'm Tom Galuzzo, founder and chief technology officer at IM Robotics. Join in for my new podcast, Crazy Hard Robots, where we're sharing the stories of some of the crazy smart people building the robotics technologies and companies of the future. I have over 20 years of experience building autonomous robots, so I know how challenging some of these systems can be. Listen in and learn as I chat with fellow scientists, engineers, entrepreneurs, and investors building the robotics industry today. All right. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? What's up, Tom? Great to, great to see you, man. I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a pleasure. So I want to I wanna talk to you about a couple of really interesting high-level topics today. But first, I want to give the audience a chance to you know, meet you and learn about what you guys do, uh, reporting on robotics and the various media ongoing. So give us a, a brief overview of uh, where you work, what you do, how you work, that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Steve Crow, um, editorial director of the Robotics Group at WTWH Media, sort of the parent organization, uh, B2B publisher. We own uh, a bunch of different robotics brands, uh, publications and events that hopefully your, your listeners are quite familiar with. Uh, the flagship brand is the Robot Report. It's been around for a very long time, started by the great Frank Toby, uh, who I, I still talk to uh, once in a while. Oh, like um, Frank Black. Yeah, uh, he's coming. I'm in. I'm in the Boston area, so him and I are hopefully meeting up. He's coming in on a sailboat uh, in mid July, so I hope to meet up with him then. Uh, nice. Robotics. I see you're representing uh, the the Red Sox today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I live a little far away. I'm, I'm uh, about an hour away from from uh, from Fenway, but yeah, uh, big sports fan as well. So we also own Robotics Business Review. It's been around for about 15 years. That was started by my uh, my current boss, Dan Kara. Um, so there's a flagship uh, event with that publication called Robo Business, which you guys have been at a few times in the past. Uh, we launched another event uh, three years ago, pre-pandemic, called the Robotics Summit and Expo in Boston. That's more of an engineering event, technical event for engineers like yourself. Uh, and then we started two end-user-focused publications to really try to cover the gamut of the industry. We have Collaborative Robotics Trends, which is educating folks on the benefits of collaborative robotic arms. And then yeah. a couple of months ago, we acquired a, an online site called uh, Mobile Robot Guide, which is very similar to Collaborative Robotics Trends. It's, it's designed to educate and accelerate the adoption of AMRs, AGVs, uh, ASRS type systems. So uh, we really try to just educate whether it's you know, folks like yourself who are building uh, these great systems to help companies overcome their issues and their inefficiencies, or uh, on the flip side, try to help them learn about how they can navigate this crazy world that we're going to get into here and, and how they can benefit from, from the technologies that are out there. I think it's awesome what you guys have done. I also think it's really cool to see kind of the industry consolidating and building up that critical mass for the robotics world and the robotics media. Yeah. I remember 
you and I talked about this a long time ago now. I, I don't know what event it was at, but you were, you were basically saying like, oh, there should be one, you know, sort of leading, you know, robotics uh, media outlet. And I, of course, I'm biased, but I, I like to think that that's us. We have, uh, you know, by far the best websites and, and, and leading events. We're not competing with, you know, Automate, right, which is a tremendous right. show. We're not competing with those folks. Um but yeah, there's there's so much out there. There's so much to cover. There's so much to educate, you know, ourselves on and and, and you guys and help you guys kind of navigate what's going on. So you know, we have some great things in the works as well. And and we're hiring people. We're looking for editors to to help us continue to grow our coverage and improve our coverage. So uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been doing it for about a decade now. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you've had kind of this box seat view of the robotics world. Yeah. Uh, for all these years. And you guys have a podcast now as well, correct? Yeah, called a uh, very creative title that we came up with called the Robot Report Podcast. <laughs> uh, so you can find it on all the, the podcast channels, iTunes, you know, Amazon Music, what have you. But yeah, we launched it like probably a year ago now. So we're almost at 50 episodes. I think uh, this week will be 47. And we just, yeah. you know, uh, leading roboticists on there, uh, integrators, distributors, leading end users, you know, really folks that are knowledgeable about the industry or, you know, working on really cool technology. There's, there's one, um, I think my favorite episode, I'm a big self-driving car guy. I love self-driving cars and just the challenges that they present uh, to the engineers building them. And, you know, Waymo's probably the leader of that space in the world. And there's a, a young guy in the Phoenix, Arizona metro area who's been documenting his rides. I forget, I'm going to make up this number. It's something like 200 rides that he's taken in the Waymo One Robo Taxis. And he has a whole YouTube channel dedicated to his rides. And there was one that just didn't go right. It, it was a disaster, for lack of a better term. And uh, we shared the video, many outlets shared the video, but we had him on the podcast just to talk about, you know, what the heck happened. And, you know, he's not a robotics expert by any stretch of the imagination, but he's one of the few people He's taken, besides someone that works at Waymo, he's probably, he's got to be the most frequent rider of, of a self-driving car yet. Right? What did happen on that so, ride? Yeah, so it got confused by traffic cones that were, uh, it was pulling out of a parking lot, which is challenging in itself. It navigated the parking lot and, you know, uh, perfectly fine. And then it was uh, trying to make a right-hand turn, but the right-hand lane that it was trying to turn into was blocked off by some traffic cones and Waymo came out and said, you know, it was, uh, uh, something in their relay system or their tele, they were trying to, their remote operator is what it's called. There was, they, they blamed it on the remote operator, um, which wasn't a good look for them, but it got confused by these traffic cones. I think it was three different times on this same street. So it was, it was a fun conversation, you know, just again, he's, Again, besides someone who's developing a self-driving car, whether for Waymo or someone else, he's probably taken the most rides in, in a self-driving car of anybody in the world. So, you know, who better than him to have on and, and just talk about his whole experience with self-driving cars and robo-taxis and how he sees the future playing out. So it was a fascinating conversation, but that's what we try to do is we try to get leaders in the industry or leading end users who have experience with these things to try to educate other potential users or educate folks like yourself about, you know, some of the potential challenges that end users, you know, continue to face. So it's a lot of fun, but we launched it about a year ago in response to the, to the pandemic. 
I think that's awesome. I'm not surprised by, you know, the challenges of starting autonomous, you know, robotic vehicles and bringing them to market. I mean, I did driverless car work in the DARPA Grand Challenge for my PhD, and it's extremely hard with all the random edge cases that robots get into. And I kind of think it's really hard for us to relate to that as a, you know, intelligent human adults. We would know how to get around traffic cones. We would understand how to handle that situation. The only analogy I can come up with around this is, you know, when you think back to when you were a little kid and you got into some weird situation where you had to go to the bathroom and you didn't know who to tell her. And, you know, this happens all the time with my kids. It's like, well, why didn't you just tell me? There's edge cases and scenarios where you're not trained fully on understanding what to do, who to ask. how, And that's what autonomous robots are like, right? They, they have a subset of how they're supposed to behave in the world, but not a full general. understanding of what the rules are, you know, when they can break the rules and the rules, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things you want to get into is, you know, that's really why robots are never going to take over the world, right? It is they're all programmed by yourself and, and other, you know, engineers who are super smart. Um, but it's impossible to program for every single possible situation that's going to arise. Who knows how the world's going to change? You know, I, I think one of the the problems with that Waymo example was, and this is a, a huge debate in the self-driving car world is, you know, mapping versus you know, uh, what Tesla is trying to do, just using, you know, vision in, in real time and trying to figure out in real time what yeah. you're presented with and, and how to deal with those challenges. Because I think Waymo, you know, they've mapped that Phoenix area pretty well. They've been doing, they've been in that area for, I don't know, five, six years, something like that. So they've mapped those streets super, super well, but anytime there's a change and alteration in their map. So if a construction zone suddenly pops up, you know, one morning, it could potentially present problems, you know, for their vehicles and their technology. So there's a long way to go, but that general understanding of the world around them, I I don't think it ever happens. Um, You know, if it ever does, it's certainly not in our lifetime. I don't think. Um, I mean, I still get into situations where I'm driving my car around and, you know, there's a bunch of traffic and it's like, Oh, what do I, what do I do here? What's going on? It just actually just happened to me where there was one of, I I can't remember exactly the, the, the new traffic situation that popped up, but I was like, do I pull over? Do I go to the, do I go to the median? What's the deal? So it's funny. They just redid. So again, I'm from Massachusetts. There's a, a big highway here called the mass pike and they just redid the numbers on the exits for the highway. And you know, the G- GPS, which has been around for some time now and is, is great most of the time. It, it's, there's one area that I, I've, free, you know, the last couple of weeks I, I've drove this area twice and it gets confused just because the, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's because the numbers on the, on the exits are different or something like that, but it's actually, you know, we, we've taken right. the wrong, we've taken the wrong exit a couple of times. So even some of these, you know, basic things, you know, they're always going to exist, right? All these edge cases and, and changes to the environment. So. so let's talk about robots taking over the world, because I think there's a couple of really big misconceptions out there about robots today. And the, like I said before, you, you, you've had a really good box seat view of, you know, the robotics industry for the past 10 years. So you've kind of been able to see startups come and go, look at, see who's done well, who's taking off. I think that there's this misconception, first of all, especially for folks 
founding robotics companies, starting robotics companies, or investing in robotics companies that intuitively it seems like eventually humans are going to want robots and depend on robots enough that some robotics company out there is going to be gigantic. You know, the next Microsoft, the next Google. I'm reminded there's this scene in Will Smith's iRobot movie where he goes to meet the, the CEO of the robotics company. He's the richest man in the world, right? Because everyone has a robot, but that hasn't happened yet. No. It's far, it seems like it's far from happening. And and why is that? You know, what what is what is preventing robotics from really taking off and having a, a huge win? How much time do we have? We have as much time as you like. <laughs> that's a huge, that's a, that's a complicated problem, right? I just there's, want your take on it from, from that bird's eye view. Yeah. I think a lot of times to me, it's, to me, it's pretty, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to say it's, it's a, it's simple, but a lot of times if you break it down to the individual company, right. A lot of times just speaking from my experience with the companies that don't survive, a lot of times it, it just doesn't work well, right. Their, their solution doesn't work well. Right. And that can be for a number of reasons. Um, oftentimes they don't have the uh, vertical knowledge expertise. Right. They don't have whatever problem they're trying to solve. They're not an expert in that problem. Right. They're experts in technology. They're experts in, you know, software engineering or mechanical and whatever discipline it is. And oftentimes uh, they're so focused on the technology yep. that they forget about how to you know, a lot of times to me, they over-engineer things and it doesn't work well, drives up costs, drives up price, drives up ROI, and it still doesn't work super, super well in whatever environment or whatever challenge that it's trying to solve. I think there was a recent Amazon Robotics, right? So everybody thinks, you know, they're a great one, right? Amazon's a huge company. Bezos is, I think, the richest guy in the world, setting records every single day for the amount of money that he has. I think they're a great example. You know, they could he could buy any company he wants. He could scale up any single robotics company that he wants. They bought Zooks, I think, right, recently for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but they recently gave people a behind-the-scenes look at their operation and some of the robots that they have operating in some of their facilities. I don't know if you've seen it, but it, I think it was 60 Minutes, maybe. And I was just following my network of folks on, on social media. Some of the robotics folks were perplexed by sort of the, uh, how dumb I think maybe is the word or, or uh, the, lack of, the lack of sophistication for their robots. Like they still use AGVs. They're still developing these AGVs, these line following or, you know, some other fixtures that help these AGVs navigate a facility. They're just starting, I think, to develop, AMRs, they have, you know, a really basic uh, palletizing robot. I think they call it Robin. And mm-hmm. the robotics, some of the robotics folks who I know very well, again, were just flabbergasted that Amazon is still using AGVs and they don't have an AMR from IM Robotics, for example. And I responded to some folks and it's like, they could build any robot they want. They have unlimited resources financially, right? They could right. hire any robotics person they want. They have a trip, Amazon Robotics. I don't know the number of employees they have there. I know a bunch of them. They're super talented folks. They could build anything they want. Maybe it's a situation where whatever technologies, whatever robotic systems they have simply solve their problems, simply make their, their operations more efficient. 
Right. They have by far the best logistics operation in the world. Right. Maybe, what they, have, maybe what they have right now is, is working pretty damn well for them. You know what I mean? And it's, yes, it's not the most sophisticated thing, but it helps them, you know, get your whatever delivered to you in, in two days. Yeah. Right. So I think oftentimes that's a really simple one. The, the companies don't have the end problem in mind enough. They're just trying to build, you know, something super cool. Uh, right. That, that, you know, to them is, is, uh, is a really fun engineering project or a complicated engineering product. Again, they lose sight for the customer. And then sometimes, oftentimes they're not even trying to solve a problem, right? They're, they're trying to build a system or build a product that problem. Right. Um, and it just, it's just, I think a great example of that is probably SoftBank and what's happened with the, the, the Pepper robot recently. I know they're not a startup, but they've poured boatloads of money into developing the, the Pepper humanoid robot. And, and they built and deployed thousands of those things. I was blown away by the numbers of how many people bought Pepper for yeah, what it they does. They manufactured, I think it was close to 30,000 Pepper unbelievable. humanoid robots, and they're not cheap, right? So in, right. The US, in the U.S., if you buy, you know, there's one uh, uh, sole distributor now that sells the Pepper robot. I think they're in California. If you buy the basic Pepper robot from them, it's $30,000, right? So I'm sure if you want some, you know, extra bells and whistles on it, you know, the price just goes up. So, uh, but it doesn't do anything. Right. It, or, or I should say it doesn't do anything. It, they're, they're, so this company in California is targeting it at, for customer service applications, which is an application that SoftBank has long targeted for that robot. It just doesn't work well. Yeah. Right. It's, kind of like a store associate. You know, you put it in a retail store. People can walk up and ask questions. Exactly. But then you wonder, does it really need an arm and hands and fingers to do that, to point to the right aisle or something. <laughs> exactly right. You know, so we have a, uh, I don't know if we're going to end up running it or not, um, but I have a, an article that a former SoftBank Robotics employee has written for us about just sort of his inside look at the company and some of the problems right. and some of the challenges and, and all this kind of stuff. And again, we might not run it because I'm not sure, like a lot of it seems like sort of sour grapes potentially. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if we can really get into that kind of stuff, but he just, he wrote about something that you kind of just touched on, you know, oftentimes whatever pepper is being used for doesn't require wheels. Right. So why don't they have a version that doesn't have wheels? That's a, a lower cost. Why don't they? Have, it can't pick anything up, right? Its hands are just designed right. for you know dancing, basically. Right. Why does it have to have arms? So they've they've never really sort of broken it down or yep. modular, modularized it based off the application at hand. So you know that's another common problem that I see is they're just going after these things that you know one maybe there's a lack of people who want to work in customer service um, uh, positions in, in retail stores. But there's better ways to solve that than, you know, a $30,000, $40,000 humanoid robot, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. But regardless of whether or not it has long-term, uh, the business has long-term legs or not, I mean, deploying and building 30,000 of those things and, and having 30,000 customers or tens of thousands of customers even just try it, in my opinion, that's a, that's a huge success in a sense, right? That, that, I mean, very few companies get to the point where you're deploying tens of thousands of robots. No doubt. no doubt. Yeah. 
So it's impressive that. I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm trying to think of the company. I think it was, uh, I forget the company, but they, they shared the number of robots that they had sold. I think it's my other favorite robotics company, Boston Dynamics. So they, they launched their quadruped robot spot, I think about a year ago as well. And they have somewhere in the range of, you know, 600 robots out in the field and it's only been around for a year. Right. And, and people criticize them and uh, they don't make money and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I think there's probably a lot of robotics companies that would kill to have 600 robots. You know, yep. again, I don't know the number that have actually been sold. Some of them might be in, in pilots and, and stuff like that, but would kill to have 600 robots out operating in the field, collecting data so that they can iterate and improve upon it in, in under a year. Right. So it's right. few yeah. companies make it to that level. No, in, no, not, no doubt. No doubt. So, robotics. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, funding is a huge problem. Uh, you know, staying focused on the challenge is a problem. Um, there's, there's so many problems that are preventing, you know, robotics companies from becoming a Microsoft or an Amazon, you know, and if that ever happens, I, I'm not sure. I think fundamentally that there needs to be a problem that a robot can solve that could potentially scale as big as Microsoft Windows or Google search. I don't, I mean, there's got to be, there's thousands of problems that we deal with in our human lives every day, you know, making breakfast, cleaning the kitchen, you know, going, (laughs) driving our cars to work. Uh, Fundamentally, those are anything that humans are expending their work and effort on doing are things that machines potentially could solve. Having a one-size-fits-all robot that's able to do even 10% of that um, at a reasonable price point is not something where the technology is at today, right? Yeah, maybe a, 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 like an extra caveat to what you just said is, and it comes back to the sort of generalization that we talked about before is, you know, sort of repeatability, right? Is once, once things sort of, whether it's a workflow changes, uh, um, you know, manufacturing line changes. I mean, there's been right. stories of it was some airline. I don't know if it was mm, Airbus or not. I don't think it was them, but it was some major airline uh, opened a factory, a completely automated factory to build the fuselages for their planes. And it just didn't go well. Right. You know, they had to change things up, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, in the process. And they would just have to bring in you know, outside expertise every single time to reprogram these things or to, you know, optimize them for the change in, in the workflow. So there's just so many things. I agree with you. There's a million problems that need to be solved and, and, and could be automated, but are they repeatable? Are they, you know, do right. they sort of st- do they stay the same, you know, sort right. of every single time now, of course, you know, the technology is going to continue to improve and, and stuff like that, but they're also very hard to, to operate for, you know, average people, you know, like myself, you know, I would probably fare far better than any Joe Schmo off the street, just because I've been around them so much more and, and I've operated them, you know, somewhat in the past, but, you know, for the average person, they're not that easy to use. Right. And that's a, that's another huge hurdle too. So, so talk to what, what about the, what about the robotics companies that have actually been successful? What have they done different? And you and I were trying to pin down who is the richest person in robotics today, right? And why? Yeah, that's a great, I would love to 
find that out. I think it's in you. I think you said maybe someone from FANUC or ABB or, you know, one of those large, very large, you know, uh, historically industrial robotics players. You're probably right about that. You know, maybe someone who's taken a company public, right. All the way from the startup phase to, to going public to me. There's, there's been very few robotics companies that have gone public. There haven't been many, you know, iRobot is the one that comes to mind for me. You know, again, right. a Boston-based company. They've been around since I think the early '90s. Um, you know, they've spun off the military division there. That was a, an Endeavor Robotics, was which Endeavor, was originally right. sold to FLIR. So I would, I got to think someone like you know Colin Angle or Rodney Brooks or Helen Greiner. You know, people who were there from the get-go at iRobot got to be, and I would, I would think they'd be in the running, but I don't really know. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, just just which companies have been successful and which why? Which companies have been successful? Yeah, I think, again, sticking to that problem, and let's just focus on iRobot, for example. I mean, their, ro- their, their earliest robot vacuums weren't sophisticated, right? They, they didn't have sort of autonomous navigation technologies or cloud capabilities or, you know, right. sharing data with you. The batteries didn't last too long. They, you know, they now have this... Uh, it can empty the the cleaning cartridge out a, a number of times before you have to then go dump it in you know into your your own trash can. What they did was they found a problem and they didn't over engineer things. I think it probably just used bump sensors right early on. It would right. if, it bumped, if it bumped into something, then it went a different way. And, it didn't have a lot of intelligence, right? It just went through kind of a blind search pattern right. around. Didn't know where it was. Just kind of went through a. They figured out kind of what the the logic needed to be to, to get the robot to explore without building in a lot of super intelligence. Right. So they, they build up a customer base. And I think they, they actually started in the military uh, building robots for the military. Right. So they built up some contracts and some money, you know, that way. And I think another important lesson is uh, they've, there's a great slide that Colin has shared a bunch of times. I saw it recently, or maybe not recently anymore on his Twitter page, I think it was, and it was all the different, business ideas that they've had over the years. Oh, really? And so many of them never even right. came to fruition, right? And I think that's a, a key point for people to, you know, if you're starting a robotics company or running one, you know, being being open-minded, right? Being flexible. There was a, uh, hmm, one of the, one of the companies initially focused on automating pizza making. I forget the name of the company right now, but, you know, a couple of few years ago, they got all this publicity and, oh, this is the future of, you know, making pizzas. And I think they used an ABB arm to, you know, basically put the pizza into a pizza oven. And, you know, uh, it it went well for a little while. I think they raised some funding and then, you know, they basically- That company got up to like a billion dollar valuation at one point in time. Yeah. And then they, I don't know if sketchy stuff happened with the higher, I forget exactly the story, but uh, Jeff- I think it was Jeff Bernstein from the A3 just shared on his LinkedIn page. Like they're now involved in like making recycle like cardboard boxes out of recycled materials or something like that. So maybe that's a bad example. A bit of a pivot there. Being able to pivot. Another one that comes to mind is, is Dusty Robotics, right? So uh, Tessa Lau and one of her co-founders that founded Dusty Robotics, they used to work at Savvy Oak and they had an idea to, you know, start this, uh, they had an idea for a robot and I think they, what they wanted to do was make a industrialized Roomba to clean construction sites, I think was their initial idea. So they both left Savio to start Dusty Robotics. 
And they quickly figured out that that idea they had was not going to work. So what they did was they pivoted their, their whole thought process and they now make, um, it's like a mobile 3D printer for helping uh, automate the layout of buildings. And they're doing super well. Like they just raised, I think a $16 million round. They got some pretty large customers out in California and some other places. So they are flexible in their thinking, right? And Yeah, I've seen this. So this is basically, and they've done really, it was a really interesting pivot. So basically they have a robot that's able to drive around a, a bare concrete floor yep. and print out basically the blueprint Yep. of the facility onto the, is, is that right? Yep. Is that, is it, do I have that right? Yeah. That, yep. And that's a pretty clever idea, right? Because it, 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 you can see the practicality of that for a construction crew to know where the walls ought to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a, it's a huge problem. You know, construction projects always go over budget, right? I'm, I'm trying to renovate my, my kitchen and small little project like this. It's been a frigging disaster, right? So <laughs> imagine, no, imagine, you know, building, uh, you know, a building uh, that's tens of millions of dollars or more. Right. And you, right. you know, I mean, I hate to bring it up, you know, the, the condo in, in Florida, right. Maybe that's a little bit of a different situation, oh, sure. but there's, you know, mistakes that happen early on um, right. where if their if their solution can help ensure that these mistakes don't happen and they catch them early on, you know, it keeps these things on time. It keeps them on budget. It ultimately will help create a better you know, building a better finished product. So, you know, it's a great one is, is being able to pivot your business. So that's another one, uh, another, again, they're pretty early on. Another successful company that comes to mind for me uh, is Six River Systems. Um, yep. They were acquired by Shopify a couple of years ago now for, I think it was $450 million, which I remember at the time, you know, talking like that's a crazy, that's a crazy amount of money. $450 million. It's nuts, right? Can't, you know, Shopify is a very large company. Can't they build, you know, AMRs for less than $450 million? But I think what it comes down to is their, you know, Shopify historically has helped uh, build online stores for companies, right? Build that back end uh, system for companies that just don't have that expertise. What they're trying to do and what they've done is they've got into the actual fulfillment game, right? And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure oh, they're, right. they're in the fulfillment game now and they're trying to help these smaller outlets compete with the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the world, et cetera. So they launched, they opened a bunch of warehouses across the, the US. There's a name for it. I forget, Shopify Network or something like that. And they're trying to quickly get these facilities up to speed so that you know, all these other operations, all these other stores can compete with the behemoths of the world. So they bought Shopify so they can, uh, sorry, they bought Six River Systems so they can quickly scale these AMRs and deploy them and get them into the facilities. And but it's I, a simple solution, right? The robot doesn't need to do anything super sophisticated. That technology has been around for a while now, probably slam 15 years, yeah. 20 years, depending on how you look at it. Right. They found a way to um, apply it. Another one that comes to mind in the same space is Locus. That Locus. They've done. I was just talking with an investor yesterday who had an opportunity to invest in Locus when they were, I don't know, uh, three, four hundred, uh, $400 million valuation. 
And for whatever reason, you know, the valuation is too high. Now Locus is valued over a billion dollars and, yeah. you know, they're still on a great trajectory. There's a key to both of those. There might be folks that will. Mm. So a lot of the, a lot of the AMR companies in Boston anyway, have ties back to Kiva systems, right? Uh, which yep. is now Amazon Robotics. So Amazon acquired them for whatever it was, 800 million in 2012. Right. And, you know, Bruce Welty, I think is at Locus. So he started at a, at a fulfillment, uh, a 3PL perhaps. Quiet Logistics. Right, there you go. And I think yep. he, I think they used Kiva until right. they were acquired by Amazon. And then Amazon said, we're not, we're not, letting anybody, any of our competitors or anyone but our internal operations use these systems. And Quiet Logistics loved that technology, right? So him and whoever else was involved created their own, right? And it's now it's now Locus Robotics. Same thing with Six River Systems. Um, Jerome, uh, I forget, Chris, I forget the other guy's name, but mm-hmm. uh, two of them worked at Kiva. Ryland, Jerome and Ryland. Ryland Hamilton. So they they had really that domain expertise, right? Of, you know, here are some of the challenges that logistics operations have, and here's how we figure it out. Don't make it overly complicated from a tech standpoint, make it simple for the customers to be able to use, get up and running. And I, don't, I, I hate to oversimplify it, right? But it's, you know, they, they found a problem they understand the problem or they bring in people who understand the problem from a fundamental level because they've lived it and they build a tool that helps solve that problem or overcome that challenge or inefficiency, right? They're not super focused on their slam algorithms or we got to have this super sophisticated machine learning or like how many LIDARs do we have on the, it just works, right? It just works. And I know, again, it sounds super easy, and I would never be able to build something like that. But it's, <laughs> I think with those companies, you, you find a common thread, right? Um, a, a bad example is Rethink Robotics with, with Rodney, Rodney Brooks, right? Everybody knows Rethink Robotics, you know, one of the earliest in the cobot space. I think they raised $150 million in funding. Yep. A lot of it was because of him, super smart guy. Um, but you know, we, so I broke the story on them closing down in 2018. And I talked to a dozen integrators that had sold their cobot arms, including, I think it was like the first three integrators that had ever signed on board with them. And they loved the idea of a, a, a cobot that could safely interact around humans and still, you know, get work done and help these manufacturing customers increase their productivity. Ultimately, the problem with with their robot was the technology that they used inside of it. So they licensed a technology from MIT called the Elastic Actuator, I think is what series, it is. Series Elastic Actuators. Yes. And chime in here because I'm sure I'll screw this up. But basically, when you think of an elastic, it's stretchy, right? You can stretch it out and it goes back to its, its you know original form or shape. Well, that elasticity allowed the robot to bounce a lot or shake. I'm not going to share some of the nicknames for their robots that are out there. It's really bad, but um, their robots had a a tendency to shake pretty bad. bad. And yeah, maybe it was safe for people, but when you're trying to use that product in some sort of, you know, precise manufacturing application, or you have to 
position it into a pr precise spot and it's shaking, it's probably not going to work so well. So that's 100% why that company failed is they chose a, a poor piece of technology for what they were building. Now, maybe that series elastic actuator works well. I'm sure it does in, in other types of applications, but for something that requires precise positioning, it doesn't work. But it and, just shows you how the stars have to be aligned on nailing a business like this, right? They had the market right. They had the timing right. They had the fundamental application, right? Which was cobots. They're still credited with starting the cobot industry yeah right? they yep. just had the wrong technology or the wrong technical approach to getting it done so and probably so. more more complex or more sophisticated than it needed to be yeah way more complex than it needed to be right i mean i don't think there was maybe maybe universal robots was started around the same time i'm, I'm not i don't, I don't have they, they took off they did phenomenally well yeah. same market same application cobots but just had a different technology, had a more precise, rigid arm that was able to do, I think the application that they got really um, a lot of traction on was machine tending. So just parking a robot next to a CNC machine, having it swap out parts yeah. from the machine, huge yeah. application. Yeah. And it wasn't being done before. Yeah. Literally just doing the same thing over and over again for yeah. you know, 12 hours a day or, or whatever right. it is. And they didn't overcomplicate it. There's tried and trusted technologies or components out there that work well. And yeah, I think you're, that's a great point you made. It's just little decisions like that can make or break a company, right? And I hate to harp on the rethink one, but I think it's a perfect example of, you're right. Everything has to come together and align well. You know, I was told that they didn't really have, you know, folks from the manufacturing industry working there, right? So Rodney came from the consumer robotics market and, you know, maybe the, again, that domain expertise was, was kind of lacking. But I think there's a common thread with, you know, the companies that are super successful is they found a, a, a problem or an inefficiency that a lot of customers have that are, they're dying to overcome this uh, or labor shortages, whatever it is. And they have the domain expertise Yes, they have the funding. That's a very important part of it. Um, and they, they don't overcomplicate how their tool works at the end of the day. Yep. Steve, I really appreciate you being on the show talking about how crazy hard these robotics <laughs> companies can be to start and uh, how hard the technologies are. So many challenges, but so many interesting applications out there. I definitely want to have you back on the show. Next time I want to talk about this misconception about robots taking jobs and you know we haven't really seen that happen yet and there's a lot of good reasons why and i think we've probably touched on some of those reasons today so i think we got a we got a, a lot more to cover there yeah i mean we can chat about it now happy to come by come back anytime you want man this is fun awesome steve crow thank you so much for being on the show and talking about uh all these challenges of starting robotics companies with me. Yeah, man. Great to see you. Great to, you know, talk about all this stuff with you. Thanks for having me. I know Pittsburgh, uh, ro their robotics cluster just had some, some pretty big news. So uh, congrats to the Absolutely. cluster. Down, congrats to the cluster down there. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon, man, in person at uh, some sort of event or, or what have you, but great to catch up. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Take care. See you, Tom.